0: hello
1: and welcome to the no good poetry podcast each week we talk about the good the bad and the ugly of poetry this is episode 92 with
2: joseph makos and joseph beaveny this is the good bad and the ugly isn't it some ugly shit out there kids let's make the world safer for poetry
1: Alright guys, we had a really great interview this week with poet and musician Matt Hart. Uh, and that's what you're going to hear today. And I just kind of wanted to up front let you know we're still working out recording through Skype a little bit. So the audio quality is a little bit rough here. Um, it gets a lot better after five minutes. So if the beginning you can't take it, try skipping ahead five minutes and see if it's a little better. Because uh, it does improve, but there's still some problems with it. Uh, we're working it out. Hopefully next Skype interview will be a little better. Got to figure some things out here. But the interview is really great. I hope you can get past the poor audio quality and give it a listen.
0: All right, so we are back.
2: We are back on the, another episode. Another episode here, and we've we got a guest again this week. Yeah, calling in from his basement lair in Cincinnati. Matt Hart. How's it going, Matt? Good. How are you? Doing? Great. Good, Great. Yeah. Welcome on the show. Um, well, thank you so much. Yeah, this is, this is another one for you, for you listeners out there. This is another, uh, another show where we're working on having people call in from around the country and around, around the world. We've had some international guests, and we've had some, some national, national guests, too. So we're trying this new... And thing. one day we'll figure it out where it sounds
0: perfect. Maybe this will be the one.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Glad to be here.
0: So I don't I I'm gonna ask you to introduce yourself because I think I'll do a very bad job if I try to introduce you. But I rem- I think I first remember running into your name
2: because of Forklift. Yeah, right. Really? Um and I, I ran I, I ran into your name because I remember Meeting you at an AWP, I think in New York, and I think I, if I re, if I recall correctly, maybe Gina Myers pe- Press had maybe put out or a press she was associated with put out a book of yours, and I remember the the image of like maybe like something with a wing on it. It was like a like a like a bird with the yeah, that's that's totally true. A Pegasus thing or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was yeah, it was kind of a slash griffin. it was, yeah <laughs> Yeah, it also looked kind of like a playing card, so... Totally.
3: Yeah, it was one of my former students who did that. Oh, was, cool. Which was great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I founded an edit stroke like with Ohio, the General of Poetry Cooking, and Lighting 50, which I've been doing now for 25 years.
0: Um, how can you read? 25 years. Yeah, wow. <laughs> So exactly, as we're
3: getting ready, Division 37 will be out for AWP this year. We started publishing books a few years ago, so we just put out a new book by Darcy Gentleman called The Parking Lot and Other uh, several Scenarios. Um, so I, I do that, and then I also teach uh, at the Art Academy of Cincinnati, which is our former college of art and design. We just got our creative writing. Last year, um, that's pretty exciting. I'm the the life, of creative writing. I have, uh, I don't know, I don't, know this tour, is, I don't remember. Uh, that's the just released the um, in December. So, um, I, you know, I've got a lot
0: of fires. I've got going. Yeah,
3: so and you like it. A <laughs> lot of stuff going on. So you got, <laughs> there's my family, too? And so, you know, it's it's constant, constant mayhem here.
2: <laughs> so instead of having, like, a bunch of irons and one fire, you, you, do, you think, do you think you have, like, one iron and a bunch of fires? or?
3: <laughs> I only have one iron and a bunch of fires, so it's
2: like, all <laughs> out, <laughs> out of control. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, real quick, you know, I, 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 like, I like, um, uh, telling us a little bit about all these sort of different ways that you, your sort of, I mean, really it's your practice and poetics sort of come through your, um, your, your career and your, um, like where, how you sort of, I, I guess what you value and how you spend your time, right? Because what we value is really how we spend our time at the end of the day. Um, I want to talk a little bit about something you said at the like uh, when you're sort of explaining or telling us about your the BFA is coming online at the academy um, I, I, I'm just curious like uh, you, you all had to go through a couple a couple years of curriculum development and review to really get that to get that like uh, to become a real thing because that's cool that you did that and I I, I, uh, I want to know just like uh, is that is that something you guys fought for or something you had on your mind you know for a while or, and you worked toward it develop curriculum and then you have a program you know Yeah, it's definitely something that that I had on my mind for a long time. Um, It
3: was actually really easy to make happen at the area. Our academy is very, very small. We have about uh, 200 students in the whole college. So it's a really small place. You can get a lot done just by, like, walking to the office next door and talking to the person that's there. Um, And we had a really robust... Um, creative writing minor. So a lot of the students at the Art Academy were uh, involved in the minor and lots of students are doing writing. They're using language as a sort of material artistic medium in a variety of different ways and poetry has always been something, at least since I've been, been at the Art Academy, that students have gravitated toward and have been excited about. And I mean, One of the really great things about poetry at an art school is that a lot of times the art students come in and they're really great at drawing or they're great at painting or, you know, they're, they're sculptors, um, but they're not so great at academic writing. Um, they think that they're not good writers. They think that they're not uh, careful readers and they start writing poetry and their academic writing improves ridiculously um, because they get excited about language at the level of the word, the phrase, the sentence, the line, the paragraph, right? So they, they get like just really pumped up about language in these, in these really small ways and it blossoms into something a lot larger. And really, I mean, they just start paying attention more um, than they have the language. And as a result, they become better writers. They become more careful readers. Um, so I've had students who have have come in sort of off the street who have not been maybe such great academic writers, um, but were like wildly imaginative straight out of the gate as poets, uh, and got really excited about language, and then and then as a result, like became really amazing academic writers as well. Um, so. I really started fighting pretty hard for a creative writing major. Maybe um, two years ago I had a dean that was, like, really excited about it and wanted it to happen. Um, And we thought that it was going to take years and years and years to make happen. Um, But the way that I sort of developed the program is that um, it is just another artistic it's language as an artistic medium. So it's essentially we're offering a BFA in another medium and our creditors were like, that's totally fine. You can, um, we don't have to go through a lot of special, um, um, you know, review in order to, like, make this this BFA happen. So, I mean, there were some things we had to do. We had developed a lot of the curriculum as a part of the BFA already. So there were really, the, the main things left to do had to do with the capstone experience. Um, and so we developed that pretty quickly. And then um, it got approved within about six months. It was, it was kind of amazing. So
0: does that, because of that setup, does it change kind of the way that, poetry is taught there you think than the way it is in other places
3: I don't, I, mean, I don't know I don't have that much experience with poetry at other places I mean my my undergraduate experience was in philosophy and then I went to grad school for philosophy and then I took 10 years off and played in punk bands and then I went to grad poetry and sort of walked into the art academy like right after that and I was an adjunct there for 11 years before they hired me Um, So I don't have a lot of experience with other places and how they teach poetry, but there certainly at the Art Academy is an emphasis on um, the materiality of language, of the fact that um, writing is drawing and the other way around, um, that whenever we're reading, we're not only paying attention to what the words mean, but how the words mean and that is partially a matter of how they, act, how they look on the page, the font that they're in, whether or not they were written by hand or typed on a computer, typed on a typewriter. I mean, all of that makes a huge difference. And the art students are, uh, you know, sort of ready-made and equipped to, to think about language in that way. Um, and so a lot of the students, you know, start out Really, not thinking about meaning at all, but they're using language really sculpturally, really using it sonically uh, to build structures. Um, and some of them get really involved, what we would probably consider poetry more traditionally, but some of them um, just continue to use language in this really, like, you know, blocky, bric brac, structural kind of way. It's very cool.
0: So, y'all get into like some Vispo stuff too, or?
3: yeah uh w- a little bit but uh and actually i've got a colleague who's like really really into into that um fortunately because i don't know as much about it as i would like to um so yeah i mean that's happening it's not happening because of me but um okay. but yes
0: well it seems like a, it seems like that's a good uh good area if you're working with these visual artists but
3: yeah. Yes. It's really cool. It's actually it's the only BFA in creative writing uh, that's run out of an art school that I'm aware of, where the artists and the writers are not separate from each other. So if you come into the art academy as a creative writer, you have to take drawing. You're going to take core foundations. You're going to be in a class with you know the illustrators, the painters, the sculptors, the photographers. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really, it's really terrific. It's a lot of collaboration, a lot of cross-pollination, and there's a lot of fluidity between media. Dude, I want to do it. <laughs> it's really, it's really exciting. I mean, I've had, I've had sculptors in the last few years who've only been writing poems. Uh, you know, I have painters that, like, are just taking photographs or making movies. So there's, there's, and, you know, that's the way contemporary art is. I mean, artists, It seems these days very rarely are like uh, pigeonholed into one sort of medium or another. I mean, everybody. I want to see a
0: sculpted poem. I want to see like someone make letters out of clay.
3: Yeah. (laughs) This one young woman uh, took all the drafts of the poems that she had written in four years at the art academy and made a podium out of them. They were they they were. It was five and a half feet high, and then she gave lectures on poetry in the gallery for her senior show. That's that's amazing. It was terrific. I I had another student actually, I was teaching I teach this class called Giant Books, where we read giant books. And some of them are giant in terms of, you know, they're they're lumpy. Some of them are sort of conceptually huge. Like for example, I think uh, you know, Tender Buttons by Gertrude Stein is yeah. a book, even though it's a sort of short book, right? Um, so, but I was teaching Moby Dick, and Definitely they had... a giant book. <laughs> yeah, it is indeed a giant uh, in, in a whole host of ways. And uh, this student of mine, uh, for her final project, um, re-typed the chapter on the pipe in Moby. Did you guys remember that chapter? It's the, it's the chapter where Ahab is on the deck and he's smoking a pipe and he realizes at the point that he's smoking this pipe, that it's a kind of creature comfort. It's one of the things that makes him, Human, and he sort of you know has this soliloquy, and then he throws the pipe overboard to sort of renounce his humanity, and to like dive headlong into the you know this this wild chase after after Moby Dick. Um, So my student retyped the poem uh, on her uh, manual typewriter uh, once for every chapter in the book plus the epilogue, Um, and then she came to the critique and nailed it into the wall. And it's a big stack of papers. It's like 126 or 127 pages. I can't remember how many chapters are in it right now. And then she turns around and she starts reciting the chapter to us as a performance. But she hadn't learned the... Um, The the chapter in her head, she learned it in her fingers by retyping it over and over again. So she's swaying back and forth in the air, in the air, and we were all tears. I mean, it was like, it was mind-blowingly great, and so her struggle to remember the text – threw her fingers in the air, sort of mimicked in some ways. Ahab struggle to like, you know, figure out whether or not he was gonna be like this you know, whether or not he was gonna be a human being or a little maniacal crazy person. And uh God, it was beautiful. But like that's the kind of stuff that happens yeah, <laughs> at that the amazing, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Yeah
2: that's awesome that's that's like, you know, the the idea of the the, the the writers being you know another part of the whole situation is like if you have the poets there and the writers there and and that is a major it just seems like it's 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 an important component you know that that i think a lot of these art schools you know some of them are are maybe not emphasizing that enough and that's like what what a great possibility for ekphrastic work and what a great you know what great possibility for you know um this kind of thing, you know, it's like the cubists and the, and the, and the painters were all hanging out, you know, and, and, and right. like back, in the, back in that time, there was so much, like a, there was so much poetry that was actually showing up inside the paintings, you know? And, right. And, and, and that, that's like a real thing, like how letters and poetry and language ended up kind of becoming part of the fabric of, of abstract expressionism and cubi- cubism and all that is like. Yeah. Is like,
3: of course. Yeah. And, you know, Apollinaire, was hanging out with Picasso and was, you know, there for these these experiments, which which wound up being, you know, it was the the, the, the beginning of collage. It was the beginning of, uh, you know, the, the the world of art collapsing into the world and the world collapsing into the world of art. And, um, you know, Apollinaire wrote that great poem, Windows, where um, he was supposed to write a introduction for a Robert Delaunay catalog and he forgot until the last second. So he goes into the, into The story goes, he goes into a cafe and he sits down and he starts describing one of Delaunay's paintings. He says, you know, uh, the yellow fades from red to green and then, um, and then he, he gets stuck. And so he just starts writing down, uh, things he's overhearing at other people's tables, and he starts writing down uh, impressions that he's having in his body, and he starts writing down things he sees on a newspaper, and we get this this great collage poem, right? It's like this Frankenstein monster. It, 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 there's no speaker because it's it's uh, you know a uh, uh, hundred voices that are all like sort of mashed together and apollinaire was like really excited about the liberty of being able to like you know make rather than write a poem to like discover a poem somewhere to to sit down and find it and and he was getting that from, like, from artists who were totally willing to like take some from the world and glue it into the painting or just take a bunch of objects that were like real objects in the world and put them together in a whole new way to 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 make art um super exciting and
0: oh yeah and well and i don't know like i mean as as the grandfather of visual poetics like apollinaire starts out with these visual poems that are shaped like what he's writing about, but I don't—I oh, yes. don't think he would have gotten to that point of being more abstract with it if it wasn't for hanging out with these visual artists and, and understanding that that shouldn't be so literal, you know? Right,
3: totally. Yeah, those poems are—those poems are wild. I mean, when you when you look at them and you think about like when they were made, oh, <laughs> it's just—it's really kind of unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, Apollinaire—he's somebody that I've, I've been spending a lot of time with over the last um, two or three years. I mean, he. So, to be to be honest, I wrote about Apollinaire in my um, my critical, like, sort of master's thesis. We had to do a uh, critical thesis and a, and a creative thesis, but so I wrote about Apollinaire, and I was really excited about Apollinaire. Um. But over the last three years, I started um, re-reading Apollinaire, and I and I had this sort of inclination that I wanted to, to do some translations of Apollinaire. But I don't read French, um, and I didn't really know where to begin. So I got an old French dictionary, and I started like you know piecing poems together, doing these sort of translations, and then I started using Google Translate to help me because. <laughs> Because there was just stuff I couldn't, stuff I couldn't find in the dictionary, stuff I couldn't figure out. So I was using this di- this dictionary and Google Translate to get these like super rough, you know, English translations of the poems, many of which borrow from other versions. And then I just started obliterating them. I started doing antonymic translations of some of the lines, homophonic translations of some of the lines, catatonic translations of some of the lines you know, they, they wound up being, um, I am I call them obliterations now because they're like, um, Apollo Air is the source, but it's kind of like, it's me, it's me up against him, um, up against those poems. Um, and what the result is, you know, they're, they're new, they're new Matt Hart poems. Um, because I, had zero fidelity to the to the text, and somehow I feel like I got cl- I got a lot closer to a Um the further away I got from a yeah, 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 yeah.
0: that sounds cool. Oh. Um, yeah, no, no, that's that, that's like a nice thing, really. I think uh, that's like part of the difficulty with normal translation is. The slavish fidelity to what's there can sometimes ruin the whole damn thing,
3: All right? You yeah, or, or
0: the, you lose the gist of it, you know.
3: <laughs> totally, or or even just the even you know even if you're not being slavish about it, you st- you you have to make very often, especially with poetry, you got to make a choice. I mean, one of the primary choices is: am I gonna am I going to try to stay true to the content, or am I going to try to stay true? to the to the to the form, and you know usually the content wins out, but yeah. but it's that it's that's an impossible situation to be in. I mean, people that actually translate poetry and do it well are like uh, absolutely amazing to me. I mean, it is yeah. unbelievable. Um, I don't. I but, just I
0: always feel like trying to adhere to meter is a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Because it's just like number one. Well, you're 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 limiting yourself so much, but but also like you're coming between languages. So even what meter means from one language to another is so different.
3: Right. I don't know. You're, you're really limiting yeah.
0: yourself in a, in a lot. <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, it, it's really it's funny too, though, what translations do uh, to the way that we sort of perceive. Uh, works of art. I mean, I always think about Rimbaud, you know, and you think about, like, um, The Drunken Boat. When we yeah. think about The Drunken Boat, and we think about Rimbaud as being this, like, you know, um, a- a- amazing precursor to the avant-garde, and that he was doing, like, all this really wild stuff, and he was doing really wild stuff, but, you know, it's like you read The Drunken Boat, if you look at it in French, it rhymes.
0: Yeah, and, yeah. You,
3: you, you, you know,
0: lose that in all the translations, basically, you know.
3: Yeah, totally, and it's it's a great, po- I mean, in English, still, it's a great poem, but it's, when you look at it in French and you realize that it rhymes, it seems a lot less drastically avant-garde, you know? Although, um, although
0: to be fair, almost everything in French rhymes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right,
0: right. I mean, it's hard not to rhyme, I think.
3: <laughs> it is hard not to rhyme. I mean, you, it makes you want to rhyme, yeah, for sure. Um... Yeah, I've been I've been working on those those uh, those Apollineer obliterations. Um actually I could read one. You want to hear one? Absolutely. Do you guys have time? Yeah, for sure. that? Sure.
0: Absolutely. No, I would love to hear one.
3: Let me see. Uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll do the Windows obliteration since we were just talking about that that yeah, poem. Um, so the, the way that the the is usually, you know, the translation of, the, of that first line in English is something like, um, the, the yellow uh, fades from red to green, and that's the only line in the poem that repeats. Um, and, you know, it really is like kind of a Frankenstein monster of a poem because it's made out of body parts of, of language. I mean, it takes us through the slaughterhouse, um, and and yet somehow it coheres. Um, he takes us on this sort of journey of of consciousness of, of paying attention. And sometimes people say, like a lot of people have asked me, like, well, what, what you know, what are your poems about? And I'm like, you know, my my poems are not about anything. They're a they're particular they're a demonstration of a particular way of paying attention, and I, I like that that this poem of Apollinaire's. Uh, is, is a forthright demonstration of a particular way of paying attention. So my translation of it uh, goes like this. Windows. The lion flips from lips to leaves when crows in their native forests scream Chinese gizzards. There is a poem to make. The bird has one wing. We will sext it to strangers by cellular phone from a giant ism he spilled the eyes of darkness that pretty young girl is a maid from the shroud that poor young man blew his nose with white blood cells in the future the spirit of the curtain you will lift it and now a picture that opens its heart spiders when hands wove the lightning into sweaters purple pallor unfathomable beauty we will try in vain to rest assure them at midnight as always we begin our monopoly. When we have time, we have metaphysics. Too many periwinkles and multiple suns unhinging the sea urchins, multiple suns, and a pair of yellow shoes on the feet of the famous philosopher Skyscrapers, the skyscrapers of streets, black holes, black holes are sheep. Sir John suckling everything, hollow shafts that house stray wolves. The cheerleaders sing tunes. We hope to die, marooned with cheerleaders on a rock through justice in North Goose Island. wawa petals pedals, pups becoming hunters, shaved ice vendors, sparkling anus. Oh Canada, the white love train of sleet and baby night lights leaking winter paris my darling the lemon flips from lips to leaves denver victor san francisco austin new york and over the rhine the portraits of citrus shall never be extinguished orange trees baseballs broken juice glasses neon ex machina of light <laughs> um. That's
0: so the, the repeated line becomes the lemon flips from lips to leaves. I like
3: that. Right. That's good. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the the thing I like about I mean, the thing I like about Apollinaire's poem and 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 collage in general is the way that it sort of radiates rather than delineates meaning. The way it it, it, it accumulates into something, you know. Um, it is really that's really exciting to me because like um, I'm not a poet that has like ideas you know like I would never sit out and say like uh, today I'm gonna write a poem about uh, walking through the fog and seeing a wolf you know like it, like it would never it would never freaking occur to me to do that so like I I I have to find ways to destroy to, to discover something or to allow something to accumulate long enough that I can see something in it. And, um,
0: yeah. And it's yeah. definitely like uh, encouraging to be like, here's someone in the early 1900s. <laughs> right. Who already had that same aesthetic. Right. <laughs> but, you know, right. Like, here
3: we go. Totally. <laughs> totally. And it was like, you know, it's as easy as like, paying attention. And I mean, I, you know, I think like, I always think about that, that Frank O'Hara quote, uh, where he was talking about the sculptor David Smith, but he said, um, don't be bored, don't be lazy, don't be trivial, and don't be proud. The slightest loss of attention leads to death. Right? I, I think about that a lot because I think that um, so much of like being, being an artist or, or being a poet um, has to do with with being attentive, with paying attention to those things that no one else notices, um, or, or being willing to, um, to, to descend into the chaos of something that everybody notices, but they think is totally not chaotic and to like explode that or unpack it in a way that just makes it into the weirdest thing ever. Um, that's, I mean, that's super exciting to me. And it, it, like, I, I, I don't think that'll ever, I don't think I'll ever stop being, you know, in awe of works of art that, um, seem to have been made, um, rather than written.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it's great. I mean, I wish there were more like, uh, well, I mean, I like what you did with that because it's like a combination of different, Odd translation methods, but like you know, I think of like Zukovsky or, or people who did these homophonic translations, and I wish there was more of that stuff out there. To be honest, you know? yeah, I
3: mean, it can. I mean, it can be, you know. Um, yeah, it's difficult to not overdo know, it, you know, fine, you know? <laughs> but um, not that I'm not going to try. But but uh, <laughs> but it, but it uh, you know, I I love when there's a. I, I do love when there's a sort of conceptual um, aspect to poems. And at the same time, I, I also want uh, to be searching for something that is um, wildly, expressively human. Like, I, I, I don't I don't want to make poems like a robot. Yeah, yeah, but at the, at the same time, like...
0: Well, maybe in some way.
3: Yeah,
0: But, yeah, you I, need both. You need both. Yeah, no, you know, I know what you're saying. <laughs> right?
3: I, I want there to be an aspect of that, and at the same time, I I, I want to diverge from that when that needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I did a whole bunch of those, including I, I translated or obliterated Apollinaire's sort of long poem, zone. um and my, my verse... Yeah. My version is called End Zone. Um, <laughs> uh, it has nothing to do with football, I promise. But um, it sort of has to do with these end times. And then, um, I don't know. I think I've done maybe 30 of them at this point. Wow. But, Are those out there
0: somewhere in a published form for people to get? Or?
3: Uh, actually, no, they're not. Um, th- th- there's, there's a tiny little press in Louisville called Alatesta and they published, uh, in zone, the obliteration of zone, um, in a limited edition of like 200 copies. Um, and I think those are gone, although I have a few. So if, if anybody wants one, they can, they can email me at forkliftmat at gmail.com and I'll just send you one. Um, but, Alatest is really cool. They do these limited editions of these little chat books, and the deal is that they do, they do two or 300 copies of, the, of whatever it is they do, oh, and they, they uh, keep, like, 50 copies for themselves, and then they give 150 copies to the author, and the deal is you're not allowed to sell them. <laughs> so you, it, you can only give them away, That's which is, cool, yeah. oh, I love it it's that's been so fun to just have those and to like, you know, hand them out to people so just put pdfs into the world after those are done too. Yeah, well I'm, I'm hope- I have a whole manuscript now that's called the obliterations and it's got the Apollinaire stuff. I also obliterated some Lorca. I obliterated um uh some Gerard Manley Hopkins actually. <laughs> awesome. Uh, awesome. uh I obliterated and then I obliterated some of my own poems. Uh, and poems of my friends, and so I have that manuscript, and i don 't know what i 'm going to do with it but we'll, well we'll see maybe maybe something will come of it someday cool. yeah That's awesome.
0: i mean we 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 have almost spent half of our time just talking about that, which is all right oh, <laughs> yeah. awesome. but I know you had some other things you wanted to talk about um what about this like intersection of music? and particularly punk with poetry.
3: Yeah, I mean, so that's been a huge... Um, punk rock has been a huge, important part of my life forever. I mean, I started playing in bands when I was 15. Um, and it, it, You know, the thing that I loved about punk from the start was that it was this, this uh, music that sounded like it might fall apart at any second. Um, And, you know, I I played in bands that really tried to create music that felt that way, that had this sort of herky-jerky, sloppy, um, you know, deafeningly deafeningly loud uh, racket to it that um, was, like, literally dangerous, uh, I know, because my ears ring all the time now. Um, um, and when I started writing poems, I mean, the, the poem that, like, really got me into poetry, and I've said this other places, so this this is probably boring old news, but, I mean, the poem that really got me into poetry was Etheridge Knight's poem, Feeling Fucked Up, which is um, this just amazing um litany of fUs to everything from like alligators and birds and to, to, to Nixon and and Kruma and Jesus and um but it's also it's a prayer, and like the, the, when I heard it read the first time, I just remember like hearing all these like you know hearing this litany of FUs and thinking like that's a poem, like, man, if that's a poem, I want to like write poetry that has, like, it's got real power, it's got force, it has, like, there's a there's an irreverence to it, there's a violence to it, it feels like it might fall apart at any second, in the sense that the speaker feels like, it sounds like the speaker is falling apart. And, um, you know, that's the poem that really got me into poetry, and then, you know, I started finding other poetry that I felt like was really, uh, falling apart, so I, I, you know, I got really excited about the beats early on, I got really excited about Dada early on, um, I got super into um, the, the Surrealists, and then, you know, later on, the New York School, and, uh, and, and finally the Romantics, um, especially Coleridge and, and Keats and Claire, who I feel like these early, like, You know, um, proto-punk rock poets, Um, and that the the sort of convergence of that sense of things falling apart, of language being used irreverently, being used wildly, of uh, imaginative flight, of uh, of throwing one's body against the wall. Th- that, that's been put up to stop you like what that was- uh, that's
0: something that I was going to ask about that I guess Like, isn't part of that or maybe or I don't know or do you see that as being part of that of you've got this inherent idea in poetry of the persona of the poet being part of what's going on and all of these people are almost like playing with that idea. It's almost like pre fucking with the press like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But like like yeah. we know we know you're doing this, so we're going to play around with that idea to some extent.
3: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think um, there was a, you know, when when I was fronting punk rock bands, I was always like really uh, wildly physical. I mean, I'd throw myself around on the stage. I'd throw myself into drum sets. I would like flop around like a, you know, like a, like a worm in hot ashes. And, um, but I always felt like I was trying to shake myself out of myself. And I think that, um, poetry allows us to do that as well. Um, in, in the sense that like, we can, we can like sort of play with persona. We can, um present ourselves as ourselves and have that also be a lie um, and, but, you know I love that about it I think that's I think that's really a lot of fun uh, for
2: sure that makes <laughs> um, I guess that makes, uh, I guess that makes Word- Wordsworth more like Morrissey then <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right.
3: right Wordsworth is Morrissey and is Richard Hell yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Um,
2: Have you ever read? uh, Have you ever read um, this two-part biography? It was just recommended to me, and I saw it in a bookstore, and it was like one of those things where like slipped between my hands, like I didn't get it, and then I'd always, I've been longing for it for years. But there's this fantastic two-part Coleridge biography. Richard Holmes.
3: Yes. Have you read this? Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. I hear it's killer.
3: It is, it is really killer.
2: I have not, no. Yeah, I need to pick this up.
3: Yeah, that, so the, the... Let's see. I'm looking at it right now. It's on my, it's on my shelf. <laughs> it, the, the first... Yeah, the, the first volume is called Early Visions. It's 1772 to 1804, so it, it gets you through you know, the lyrical ballads and basically to the point where he's falling out with Wordsworth. And then uh, 1804 to 1834 is Darker Reflections. And I remember that the first volume, it's been several years since I've read it, but the first volume, Early Visions, you know, really does a great job of of sort of uh, setting the stage uh, for... Coleridge as this, like, uh, radical, creative, imaginative, uncontrollable force of nature. And then the second volume, Darker Reflections, is where that, like, falls apart. (laughs) It's, it's like, oh my god. And there's, there's some, like, moments in the, the second volume that are just excruciating. Um... And indelible, yeah. You should read it for sure. It's 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 really well written too. It's they're great. they it's a great it's a great two volume Coleridge set.
2: Yeah, it just came back up to me. Somebody recommended it to me just in the last week, and I was like, oh man, that 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 reminded me of that. But anyways, we can go beyond Coleridge. But um,
3: <laughs> the- so here's another thing I've been working on, which is that while I was working on the Coleridge thing, um. I, in 2017 January 1st of 2017 I decided that I was going to write I was going to type a poem every day for the entire year of 2017 Jesus <laughs> So I have it
0: <laughs> that sounds so, like quite a task
3: Well and I, and I part of my process is that I love to type I've got a Remington noiseless number 7 from 1947 um it's beautiful and I like to type on typewriters because I can't revise as I go. So it's like you know, it's like you once you once you click it, it's there and you can X it out, but you still have to contend with the fact that you X'd it out, right? So kinda see it underneath, maybe. So 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 I decided I was gonna I was gonna type a poem every single day of twenty seventeen and that uh, – and that the poems had to be at least 14 lines, and they had to have a beginning and a middle and an end, so I couldn't just write 20 lines and stop. And, and the reason that I, that I wanted to do this crazy thing was because I had a couple of books that came out in the fall of 2016, and I went on a tour, and I, I did 44 readings in three months. And, you know, when you when – you, uh, are lucky enough to like have the books come out and to get to go and read from them, um, you, you get to a point, or at least I do, where, um, where you start to understand like what poems kind of work in front of an audience. Right. And so it's like, you have a really good experience reading Poem X and Y in front of an audience tonight. So tomorrow night you could read something entirely different, but you don't know how that's going to go. You can read poem X and Y again and have a pretty good idea that it's probably going to go pretty well. Or sometimes
0: you purposely read different poems because you get pissed off that people like
3: them so much. That's right. So (laughs) what happened was, you know, by the end of this, by the end of that tour, I was like, I am never going to read from these books again, and also. I'm never going to – I I don't ever really want to read the same thing twice. And I want want to be entirely surprised uh, or as surprised as the audience whenever I give a reading. So I wrote a poem every day for 2017. And some, some days I wrote more than one poem and I loved it so much that I continued it into 2018. So I wrote a poem every single day for two years. So now I have well over 700 poems. um, And I started giving these readings recently and I'm hoping you guys will participate in this, in this weirdness with me here. Uh, I started giving these readings where I just bring the whole stack of like the poems from one year. And then I just have people call out dates. Um, (laughs) And I, and I read whatever I wrote on that day. Um, And you know, one of the things that was really fun about writing these poems is it, Got me, um, it got me really excited just about the process of writing again, about um, sitting down every day, taking taking this time to write a poem, and then, oh, the, the thing I forgot, too, is that So I would write these poems every day, and then I put them face down on my desk, and I wasn't allowed to look at them at all until the end of the year. So, Wait, so uh,
0: you weren't allowed to look at them for a year, you said?
3: Right Until the end of the year, until the end of the year. Yeah, yeah right, so and then
0: when, you, when you did look at them, were you allowed to do anything to them, or you were just like, no, that's what it is
3: uh, I haven't decided yet actually <laughs> um, I, I haven't really done anything to them. I mean, sometimes when i would I would type the poems and and often I would like I would type it and then I would read back through it, and I would make a few like quick edits, and then I'd put it face down um. So these are mostly, you know, the, 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 poems are sort of as I typed them. I mean, they kind of are what they are. Um, and I, I like aspects of that, but you know, it's like I've given a few readings now where I've done this thing and one of them was really great. One of them was kind of okay up and down and one of them was absolutely fucking terrible. Um, you know, because I mean, you're most most days. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't that good. Um, you Just can't be. Um,
0: but maybe that's all right. I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. It's, yeah,
2: I mean, you got to some concept, of it. Some yeah. of it's exhaust. You know, some of it's just gas. You know, and, and you got to let the gas out. You got to let the exhaust out. You know.
3: Totally. And some sometimes I think I probably wrote. You know. Um, I'd write for five days, and then on the sixth day, I'd, I'd write that, the poem that I was trying to write for the previous five days. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's par for the course, right? I mean, you write that many poems. I mean, I always tell my students, I'm like, uh, you know, write, write 20 poems in a weekend. I guarantee some of them are going to be amazing. Yeah. Like, you, like, a lot of them are going to be garbage, and some of them I will be things you can probably work on. But one or two of them are probably going to be great. Um, so, like, I'm somebody who really believes in the idea that quantity leads to quality eventually. Um,
0: throw some shit at the wall. You know,
3: yeah. For, yeah, see what, yeah. See what. So, anyway, uh, so what I was thinking. You think-
0: need a date. You need a date.
3: Yeah, I was thinking maybe you guys would give me a date.
0: Makos,
2: what's a good date? Well, well, I share a birthday with Coleridge, so I always want, I always want to hear
3: October 21st. October twenty first. Okay, I, I'm going to use the uh, I'm going to use the 2018 stack. Cool. Uh, so October twenty first. Let's see what we've got. Um, it's going to take me just a sec here to. Yeah. October twenty first. All right. What do we have? Okay. Uh, it's a poem called "The Pipes." We live in an old house, so the pipes are something we think about a lot. When I say a lot, I mean every day. More than the children or the various pets, mostly deer and ants, or the leaves to be raked, there are always leaves to be raked. Very often when I'm thinking about the pipes or when my wife is thinking about the pipes, I sing a little to calm myself or to calm her or both of us. Usually, it's both of us. The pipes make so many strange sounds. Now is probably not the time to get into it, but you can imagine the gurgling stomachs of the fallen angel hordes. It's exactly the way dinosaurs used to sound when they were on Earth. Sometimes we'll be in bed and the pipes will start up, and they'll start up our entanglements. It's weird like that, I mean... The big gooey balls of conditioner, which is fat, and the Hubbard squash scraps, and the bacon. God knows what, because God, I'm told, knows everything, and is everything. Our hearts, the blinking of stars, me and my wife, the sounds we make, the sounds in the pipes. So God isn't love, he's a girdling moan. Something being flushed through a pipe too small, or a T-Rex taking out a triceratops for kicks. Today, the pipes made a sound like a rodeo horse, and since it was one I'd never heard before, I made a recording to play for Kevin, our plumber. He's pretty tired of all the noises we make. Says he'll replace our metal with some new PVC. Um... So- yeah, what, and what's kind of exciting to me is like, I don't, I don't remember writing that at all like, I don't remember anything and a lot of times I would write these in the morning it was um, Melanie gets up, Melanie my wife gets up at, at like 5 and I was trying to get up at like 5.30 so that I could have you know some good amount of time before I actually had to get my day starting, so, started so, you know, I'd come down at Five thirty, and I would listen to records, and I would read a little bit, um, and I would just try to try to pay attention. I mean, I never had an idea, um, and I would just try to follow that idea wherever it went, and um, and that would be the end. Like once I got to where I felt like uh, I did, sort of discovered something that I didn't know. I would try to end the poem as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I like that.
0: It's well, a good way to do it. I think you know that had some evocative stuff in it. The pipe stuff speaks to me right now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Are you having some pipe problems?
0: I'm not really having pipe problems. I think. Um, well, I keep hearing hearing the pipes at night, and it's bothering me, and it wakes me up.
3: Yeah. But yeah. I think it might be. You
0: know, because here we're. Our houses are raised off the ground.
3: Oh, okay. And I think it's uh, possums running into the pipes. Oh wow! Wow. Um, that that can make a ruckus. It,
0: yeah, and but I'm not sure. But I but last year we had this possum issue. Okay. And I trapped a possum because it kept coming in. It kept coming into the house. Wow. Because it was wanting to eat the cat food, you know.
3: Yeah, well, you probably don't want possums in the house. No, not so good. Yeah, and, and well, it's it, it squalls a chimney <laughs> years ago, and they were making all kinds of, all kinds of racket. So I don't know um, what this
0: pipe noise is, but now I'm just worried that it's possums running into the pipes under the house.
3: The fallen angel hordes.
0: You know? <laughs> but it's, yeah, well, yeah, but then it's kind of cool, right? You never know what it is, and it's <laughs> a mundane
3: thing, right? Is yeah, right.
0: What right. You, what it like? And you're like, oh, yeah, should you change them out for PVC? I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> probably be better for your health anyway, but uh, yeah, you know that's nice. That's a nice, and you just stumbled upon this evocative image of that.
3: So, uh, do, do we have time for another one?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: You guys, want to give me another date?
0: Joseph, let's say. Oh, let's do, uh, you know, it's. I mean, I know it's a recent date, but let's do January 6th. Let's do Twelfth Night Date.
3: Okay. January 6th. I have to go back. Let's see what we got here. If I remember correctly, I was reading some really weird stuff last January. Let's see. Oh, it's a two-pager. <laughs> All Right. Uh, I bet this is bizarre. I think I was reading a, uh, Francis Picabia monograph. All right. Do you guys remember the old TV show, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman? No. Okay. It was from the, from the seventies. Uh, and it was kind of like this late night, it was on late, like, late night, like, you know, 1030 or eleven kind of soap opera slash comedy. Uh, So anyway, and then actually there was a, um, the jazz musician Ornette Coleman wrote a song called Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Uh, And I just happened to notice as I was like scanning this poem that Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman is in it. So Um, this is called (laughs) aromatic untouched lithium battery. Aromatic, untouched lithium battery. The frigid weather persists as it has for two weeks. I am making a monster 200 years late. Notoriously, the jet with their cargoes of people and pets cry and prick the sky with white, avoiding terrestrial conflict, they guess. I confess to the coffin revived that I am lighter than I should be for someone half my age who biometrically screens the cinema, which is junk poetics, a la Ryan Kosla. Apparently, dinner chickens without any feathers fly, their engines tucked snugly in the hollowed body cavity. It's true, I am sleepy with sinus infection. I am horseless with movement but also clockwork. Now I'm French-Canadian, running the new plunger mute of the Russian Federation. My letter on my desk is already addressed. Tomorrow, I will send it with wonder to your mother to lift her crackling spirits up high in the sky where giant pandas belong, licking the popsicle satellite phone, dropping shitloads of mirth on the present predicament. The monster coughs a little when I tickle its nose. I will not run from the Godzilla sister. Sparks or no sparks, the ice with its flows, a constant reminder is glow in my pocket, but what the glue conjures is different for each one of us. You have your ideas, but most of them are wrong. Congratulate the monster on its one swollen testicle. This is an Ivy League poem for sure, one I'll include in the Collected Uncollected. Tonight... We'll make Pasole and fall about the place, but at least we'll be warmer than a glacier. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Mary Shelley. So obviously, I was also I was thinking about the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein um, with that as well. But like, what a mess! I mean, you know, I I kind of love, I I kind of love though like the. Um, the associative meander I mean I'm not and when I say that I'm not saying like I think this is an amazing poem What I, but what I I love the idea I, I love the activity of meandering associatively there's something really thrilling about that to me absolutely
0: but, I mean I was I mean I was thinking as you're reading that one like you know for two random poems picked out of a poem written every year uh you know yeah i mean are they are they poems that i'm gonna say oh this is my favorite poem no but, but yeah but at the other hand are they more interesting than a random poem i'm gonna pick out of a collection that was published this year yeah probably so you know i mean they're they're you know like and maybe that's all right you know maybe that's okay, maybe that's part of the problem, right, sometimes is we don't need to polish all the gems. Maybe we just need to mine some more stuff in the process, you know?
3: Right. Well, and I mean, this goes back to the sort of punk rock thing, too. Like, I'm not, um, I'm at a point in my life where I'm not, I'm not real, I'm not precious about these things. I'm not trying to, like, um... I'm not trying to make indelible monuments. I'm trying to write more poems. Yeah, I, and, and, and I believe, you know, very earnestly that, that, that writing poems um, is, is good for my soul and that, that, it can be, that it can be good for other people's souls. That, that, that the activity of doing it, of finding one's way in language bizarrely, uh, is, is important that, that, you know, and it's an activity that I think in a lot of ways, like actually saved my life. And I, I can't, um, I, I don't want to worry about, um, trying to make, um, perfect, I want to make lots poems um, and, and I want to be I want to be surprised and, I, and also the other aspect of this is that you know performance is a huge part of um, my poetics and the what I think is really Exciting about poetry because you know, as I said, I played in bands forever and ever, and but like poetry is the words and the music in the very same breath. It's like all of it together in in one in one voice, you know. And you can like stand in a room and like sing the world, and that's that's a part of it. Following following the associations, but also following the sounds. yeah yeah so i did that for a few years and now i'd burn out
0: but but no but i like that too because it's like if i think about i don't know how many full poems do i remember not too many but i remember a lot of lines that i love definitely right and how do you get to those lines you follow the track right hit some line you never would have written, right? You hit some unexpected thing then it's like, that's beautiful, right? This unexpected thing that just popped out following this track that maybe was not an interesting <laughs> track
3: necessarily, right.
0: but then it just pops out there, right? And you're like, oh, well, that's cool, you know? Oh. And even like, yeah. even a lot of poets you love, right? You don't remember every every word of a poem that they've written necessarily, but you remember those lines where that happens.
3: I mean, I always think about John Berryman's, you know, dream songs, right? You Look at the dream songs and, and, and the, the version that includes his toy, his dream is rest is like, you know, 400 pages long. How many poems do people remember from that, those books? Like they're like, you know, like four or five poems that everybody quotes from those books. And then the rest of the poems, I mean, it's not that they're bad. They're just, like...
0: Yeah, they're just, like, this this wash of...
3: <laughs> it's part of a project, you know? It's part of yeah, this, yeah. like... It's part of, of dreaming and singing. And, um, sometimes it's, like, that's really spectacular and indelible. And sometimes it's, like, spectacular and indelible in the way that just making art is. Yeah, whether you're yeah. five years old or you're 25 or you're 80. Um...
0: Yeah, but that's important right and like all right we're getting back to the beginning again but like doing this stuff with visual artists like i think visual artists realize that right like some days you go to paint something or draw something and it's just not there and it looks like shit right, <laughs> and you're just right. Like, okay i'll just do some more
3: you, it. And, you
0: know and then eventually uh, i'll be in the right state or the things will converge in the correct way and and it'll be beautiful.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Or as a writer, as a visual artist, who's a writer, like this sort of this, what, what what seems to be a pretty serious cross pollination between different types of artists at your art school, you know, maybe, maybe there's like a side job, you know, like like we all got our side gigs, you know, there's like a side practice and maybe for like a sculptor, her side, her side practice was poetry. And maybe for a poet, uh, their side, track is uh, movies and and that's yeah and that's where the magic really happens is like in those weird spaces between you know between well that helps yeah you know. that
0: helps if you're doing multiple things I think that helps but I think there's that's something that's lost in writing sometimes is like we don't necessarily I mean we I mean we probably do but I mean sometimes <laughs> when people are teaching writing they, they they don't they don't communicate that part. We're like, yeah, some days you it's just gonna be shit, man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, uh, right. uh, there's nothing you can do. It's just gonna be right. shit, and that's okay. You know, <laughs> that's <laughs> like, <laughs> totally
3: okay. Because, I mean, you know, the thing I always tell my students, right, is that like uh, one thing is certain: like if you're not writing, you're not gonna get any writing done. If you sit around and, like, wait for inspiration to strike you in the face, you might be waiting for a really long time. I would be waiting for the rest of my freaking life. If I didn't do this stuff, I'd never write another poem again, period. Like, that. That's that's the way it works for me. I have to sit down and start writing. And so the way that I do that is I describe, you know, the sounds I'm hearing in the pipes or I look at something that's on my desk or, you know, I'm reading – Frankenstein in the morning and I, and I start a poem saying like today I'm going to make a monster or like whatever that's the only way I can write poems and not all of them are going to be good but it doesn't matter I'm not like yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to be good I'm trying to write poems <laughs> um, so yeah,
0: yeah and then at the end of the day right like oh yeah I mean some and then some of the stuff is terrible And then some stuff is better than you could have ever imagined, but you wouldn't have written that shit if you were worried about it, right? Like you would have uh, been – right. You would have had your anus clenched too tight to ever
3: fucking
0: (laughs) (laughs) try to do it, you
3: know? Totally. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the other thing is like I think writers spend a lot of time trying to like figure out like which of their – which of their works are really good and which ones are not so great. And I mean, in my experience, like, the poems that I think are, like, not really very great are the ones that wind up, you know, other people tend to really, really love. And the poems that I really love, everybody else is like, yeah, whatever. Oh, well, you know?
0: that's interesting, but that's a complicated thing, right? Uh... Yeah, I
3: mean, it. it you know, I, I think it's really, I think it's really hard to, like, be objective enough to figure out, um, to figure out what's what and so like sure. because, I can't, because I can't figure it out I'm just going to write like hundreds <laughs> of poems
0: no yeah. absolutely you know I don't know Yeah, why not <laughs> 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 then people can just have to do. people can pick the ones they like <laughs> yeah. just publish some huge uh, you know you're going to have 10 years of like 3,000 poems <laughs> just publish some giant volume of
3: <laughs> yeah I did think it would be it would be hilarious if I could convince somebody to like just publish a whole year of these things but but to do it in sort of facsimile so rather I think than it like, needs to
0: be 10 years I think it needs to be 3,000
3: poems <laughs> you're killing me I'm gonna die I don't think I can do it anymore I got to the end of this year and I was just like okay I'm done with the Palma Day thing now i like to myself, I could do it.
0: All right. and, and we can make it five, but you know if you did that, if you had like five years of, po- of poems written every day, even if they were terrible, someone would just be like, this is an amazing concept. publish this shit right now.
3: <laughs> but it would actually probably be great. No, he's torturing us. Yeah.
0: No, I. No, but I. But I think philosophically, that's a good idea. And uh, no, I mean, it's, and you're right. I mean, I think that's one of the things that can be an impediment. People want to sit down and be like, "I'm gonna." I don't know. I feel like that a lot, even with good poets. Poets that I really like. Sometimes their books are too curated, right?
3: Yeah.
2: Like this better if you let it be a
3: little mm-hmm. shaggier, a little
2: you know? Yeah, right. Well, it feels like I'm going to release a book of poems called Hindsight.
3: that's <laughs> going to come out in 2020. Right. Yeah, it feels like every hair is in place. You know, like I mean, I, I have to say, you know, it's like, um, and I, I, because I've been editing Forklift for as long as I have now. You know, it's like very often we get like. I think all the submissions we get are really good at this point. Like the people yeah, who submit yeah. are really good. Right. Um, but sometimes it's like I read poems and I just think like, yeah, these are perfectly, these are perfectly well-made poems. They're like perfectly well-made, perfectly good poems. And I, I, I totally think there's a place for poems like that in the world, but like those are not the kind of poems that I want to write. Like I I don't want to write perfectly well made poems. I don't want there to be anything perfect about them and I want them to be well made, but well made in sort of an odd way where you go, Really? Is that is that well made? Is that is that good? (laughs) I I I like for poems, right? Yeah, for sure. I like to have wounds you know I want them to be I want them to be a little wounded I want them to not have their you know can you guys see me by the way I can see you
0: and I okay. made it where I you guys be, I made it where you could see me briefly, but then I think that's when the internet died we'll try okay it again, we'll try it again we'll try it again
3: but you can you can see that like I, you know I am not a person who worries about having every hair in place <laughs> apparently
0: no no certainly not <laughs> uh,
3: so – and I, you know, I don't want my poems to be that way either, so.
0: No, I agree and I think that's – I mean – but I think maybe – I don't know. Now, Now I'm like veering off in maybe a direction that doesn't make total sense. But I do feel like there's a good shift in the poetry culture right now in that direction of maybe understanding that. Compared to like in the 90s and the 2000s, yeah. You know, yeah, I think there's more of an understanding of allowing things to be a bit rough around the edges.
3: I hope that's true. I hope that's true.
0: But um, what do you, as an editor, do you feel like that's the case, or do you?
3: Well, I no, I mean, certainly, I think for me, I feel like it. it it's as much as it's kind of always been like, um, I mean, you know, there are still enough of those kind of like hairy long tooth poems, right. That we can put an issue together every, every year, you know, like it's not that people aren't doing it, but it is that I, I do feel like sometimes that like, and I include myself in this, that like we, we worry too much about, um, Making the poems tight and compact and like concentrated and sort of perfectly formed, and at the expense of at the expense of surprise, at the expense of fireworks, at the expense of like a, a poem like uh, really making us wonder about it and and so it's like there are a lot of poems i can read now and i read the poem and i'm like and i get to the end and i'm like oh my god like that was great i totally agree with the sentiment of that poem or i you know the, the, i get you know the content is great it was well done but like the the poems that like have always like destroyed my life are the ones where i'm like holy crap really like wait a minute what what just happened or like is that a poem? Like, what's yeah, yeah, going... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, that's that's the kind of thing that I'm, like, sort of always after. I'm after that as a writer, and I'm after Absolutely, that as a... yeah. Um,
0: what a, but, but that's one of, one of the things that I always appreciated about Forklift, and maybe it's dulled a little over time, and I mean nothing about the concept of the magazine, but just because of the way things have shifted over time, yeah, was because of the format, it weeded a lot of people out, right? Because cert- some people would just be like, I don't want to deal with this thing <laughs> that looks like a whatever. I don't know what the format is going to be any any right. given month. Like, this is some strange and booklet or...
3: Yeah, thing. and he what kind of <laughs> weird illustration they're going to pair my poem with and, you know... Are they going to obliterate my line breaks and, you know, am I even going to be able to open the the journal and read it? Or is it going to be something I've got to block with, you know, an ice pick? So, so. which I
0: always thought was one of the nice things about the magazine, right? Because it it did – and, I mean, in the past it maybe was more disruptive than it is now. But in the past it was disruptive, right? Like it was like, okay – you had mostly these literary magazines that were almost all in the same format, really. When it came down to it, to have something where you're like, "Well, I don't know what the format's going to be."
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I actually don't know what the future of forklift is right now. I mean, we're, we're really thinking about. You know, I said we're getting ready to do issue thirty-seven. We've been doing it for twenty-five years, um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we're going to keep going, you know, Like I'm, uh, and I've said this before. So like, whatever, I, I'm not sure how sort of relevant it is. I'm not sure whether I want to keep doing it. I'm not sure whether there's like really a, you know, I don't think it's as disruptive as it used to be. Is there a way we can take a hiatus and reinvent the wheel and make it super disruptive again, like, we're asking all those questions right now. Um, and it's, so it's something we're going to have to like contend with in the next few months. Um, and make some decisions about, uh, because I don't want to sort of continue in the way that we've been going. I mean, not that we, I, I think it's been really great, but I also feel like we're, I'm kind of, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm at the end of like, and just
0: naturally. I don't mean in a bad yeah. way. But
3: it's just like, yeah, just sort of okay. end. I'm at the end of like what I feel like I can do with the format that we have created for us and the parameters we've given ourselves. So, like, can we give ourselves new parameters? Can we come up with a new format? You know, um, you know can can we can we turn the journal into a podcast where poets only talk about cooking and like industrial safety? I don't know. But, but uh, I'm I'm definitely interested in exploring new possibilities for for going forward. I mean, if we're going to continue to do it, I want it yeah. to be it's always been. No, so. I'm
0: glad to hear that because I, I mean I think that was always the thing that I found really. I don't know. I think of like in the late '90s, getting an issue of getting an issue of forklift and being like. All these, you know, I don't know. There weren't many magazines doing that. There was these stodgy magazines, and then you get this thing that's like a booklet put together with like weird brads, and uh, like it's like a
3: yeah, that we shot with antique rifles or something, yeah.
0: yeah you know, it's like, okay, this is this is badass, but then you also had, and you always, I thought, I felt like had an interesting mix of established poets and then poets who were just like, I don't know. They,
2: <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: they were just doing something interesting. And um,
2: yeah. right and
0: that was always something... That, uh, but, uh, but but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think things have shifted. <laughs> That's not yeah. as disruptive as it was back then. You know, it's like... For uh, sure. So I'm glad to hear that. You're, y'all are thinking about that and thinking about how to do it. But well, not that we have any answers for you.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, well yeah. if you come up with any, let me know. I'm, I'm all ears. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, you know, it may, it may just have sort of reached its natural conclusion and if that's the case, then great. You know, we had 25 years and that was amazing. And long yeah, a long time. And, you know, if, if we feel like there's something we can do to um, reinvent its you know the forklift wheel and extend its life, and we'll do that. Um, I think we're going to continue to do books for a little while. I mean, we've got a couple of pipeline, um, and, and certainly, like, we'll try to find a way to keep the books in print that are that are in print now. Like, but um, but yeah, I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the fate of the journal is. We'll see.
0: I think it's hard in general, right? Like, print journals are a difficult thing at this point. I mean, electronic journals are also a difficult thing. Yeah, right. Finding an, an audience for any kind of poetry journal is very hard right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you read a lot of journals?
0: I don't, to be honest. And
3: yeah, I don't, I don't either.
0: I not like... Uh, <laughs> I used to, <laughs> but I don't anymore, you know? And I don't right. know... Um, you know, and, and there was that weird, like, moment where we thought the internet was going to save poetry journals, and then that died out, you know? Right, um, right. And there's not really been something to take that place necessarily, and part of it yep. is distribution, and I don't know what that is, uh, because electronic distribution for journals doesn't really work either.
3: Right, right. I don't know. Uh, so I'm, I'm not... I don't know what the answer is, but you know we're we are thinking about it. I mean, I I definitely don't want to be like you know the the long dead dinosaur in the room, you know, and everybody's like, "God, why will not those guys go away?" Like, I we we are actively thinking about how to reinvent what we're doing, and we'll see what happens. I don't know
2: skywriting or something. Well, pretty soon they're going to be bringing back dinosaurs. So being dinosaur in the room again is going to be hip.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see.
2: Well, yeah, get in touch with. get in touch with
0: NASA. Well, I was gonna like, say, like maybe maybe in the. Space.
2: Yeah, well, dude, <laughs> Christian already did that, but um, uh, uh, but you you can you can like I don't know maybe maybe at the height of forklifts distribution you missed out by selling your. Uh, journal off to an actual forklift company.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, I get, I just actually today, I just got um, two emails from uh, forklift companies in China wanting to buy forklifts from us.
0: Ah, maybe that's the solution. Maybe that's the solution. To be like, problem. we will sell you forklifts, but this is <laughs> the catch: you have to no, print yeah. poetry on them.
3: <laughs> right. Right. Maybe you could do that. Or maybe he was firing poetry into space or something. I, I
2: man, you could broker a contract with forklifts to China that you don't know the value of that
3: international trade contract. It's true, it's true. I'll talk to about that. You guys have given me a great idea.
0: Well, uh, thanks Matt, for, it's been so yeah, thanks great for being on the show, on. man. It's been fun. Uh do you have anything you want to plug or I
2: promote anything coming up that you want to this, this will come out in the next
3: couple of weeks so anything coming up this spring uh uh no, I have a book coming out from Yes Yes this summer um which you yeah, know that'll be cool but uh yeah. But yeah just my you know my band never knew we have a new album out called Murmuroar okay. like M-U-R M-U-R-M-U-R, M-U-R uh uh O-A-R Murmuroar um Link to that. Oh, yeah, yeah no just send us the link. Right we'll put it up. First. Yeah, that's all the like, you know, all the usual places you can you can get it. But um yeah, no, I'm, I'm just uh I'm you know, I'm just continuing and, and I'm and I'm excited. This has been such a pleasure. It's been really fun to talk to you guys.
0: Yeah, hey, man. thank you. No, that's been great. <laughs> um Alright, well yeah. you know uh I think you should put those Apollinaries out, though, man. That'd be a nice. Yeah, That'd be a and, nice little book or and, a little chapbook, maybe.
2: And maybe not next. Yeah. And maybe not next year, man. But um, I don't know if you can get away from Cincinnati. But we'd love to have you down at some point for the poetry fest here, because we're it's growing by leaps and bounds, and we're expecting you know 400 people next year. It's going to be a good time.
3: I would be honored. I mean, anytime. Totally glad to do it. Have you been down here? You've been to
2: New Orleans. New Orleans?
3: I've been in New Orleans, but it's been I'm trying to think when I was in New Orleans last time. It's been several years. I was there when um, when Zach Savage and Andy Stallings were, or Andy Stallings was still around. Um, he was teaching at Tulane. Okay. Um, and I was there for like a PXP conference that they did, where they had um, they had this conference. But it was it was several years ago. Yeah. So I haven't been in New Orleans in a long time cool i love it though i i would be glad to come down anytime
0: no yeah the 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 festival's getting bigger you should uh that'd be good we'll remind you next year
3: yeah yeah please be grateful
0: all right well Well, thank you so much and have a good night and
3: uh yeah yeah, all
0: right
3: another episode of no No good Good poetry all right thank you guys bye you just blow on every
0: comment